0: Oh, my days! Welcome back to Tom's takes uh episode thirteen now, yeah, episode thirteen. Let's go uh this is me, Tom Patterson. uh, thanks for joining me. Hope you guys are doing well uh wherever you are right now, whatever time it is for you. I hope you're having a great day. yeah, how are you going? uh, hopefully you're doing well i'm doing doing good myself. My brain is a bit a bit tired lately. <laughs> it's like that time in the semester um, where we're doing like lots of exams and marking and just been busy at the moment, but, uh, it's been good busy, but full on, full on. (laughs) Um, it's been interesting. I had a, a, like an interesting moment last week where it was, it was StuVac. Um, so it was like the, if you don't know, like at university, you do like the semester and then the students get like, um, one week off to sort of, catch up, like cram all the lecture content, cram all the tutorial content before exam period starts. And we didn't really have any classes to teach then. So I was like, oh, I've been teaching so much this semester. You know, that's not the only thing I'm supposed to be doing right now. I'm supposed to be doing my research, supposed to be doing my PhD, chipping along at that. Um, And thank goodness that in the first couple years, like I'm two years, just over two years into the PhD. And it's like a three-year course, so crazy now. Crazy it's been two years already, but I started that basically when COVID first started, like back in March 2020, started doing the PhD and with all the lockdowns and not being able to do everything like much in 2020 and 2021, just chipped away and was really, I don't know, thank goodness I've been uh, working hard on that back a couple of years ago so that now when I've slowed down the pace a little bit, when it's like crunch time, um, it's lucky that I've I've done so much already, so it's not too stressful. But I was like, oh, I've been teaching a lot. Let me uh, let me do some PhD work, and then I had a few meetings on like in person, and that I went to uni on campus to do. And I had like a bit of a funny moment because. When I teach, usually in previous weeks, like I go to uni and be a bit more presentable, um, like have the college shirt or button up shirt and a nice jacket and either like dress pants or or jeans with a belt and some you know, at the start of the semester I was wearing like dress shoes as well, looking looking good <laughs> but then doing a whole day teaching and walking around in dress shoes, I quickly learned that it's like, no, I can't I can't walk around in dress shoes all day. This is really sore. <laughs> so yeah, quickly changed that up. But then Uh, with it being StuVac and not teaching and going into person for my own research sort of stuff and a few other meetings, um, I changed it up. I had a bit of like an undercover boss moment, if you remember that show. So I, uh... Um, I have a bit of a, what's it called? Like a staple look when I'm, when I'm being casual. It's like at the moment, like track pants and a hoodie with the hood up and a baseball cap and got the sunglasses on. And then I'm wearing like socks and slides as well. And oh my gosh, socks and slide. Yep. That's me. It's like, if you remember the damn Daniel back at it again with the white Vance, there could be a damn Tom back at it again with the socks and slides. That's like my Patterned uh, or staple look, my (laughs) go-to when I'm just chilling, when I'm just casual. So yeah, had a bit of an undercover boss moment because I'm always going in teaching, looking nice and like people can see my face. But then was on campus in Stuvak period and walking around some of the rooms that I usually go to and could see, you know, my my students practicing for the upcoming like exams and doing different techniques, and I'm there. Um, like an undercover boss, just walking past and stopping, staring a little bit, watching what they're doing, and they have no idea that it's me. But I know, <laughs> I know they're working, <laughs> or I know that they're in my class, and I'm going to mark them soon. It's like, oh, that's an interesting. What are you doing there? Is very interesting. <laughs> 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 oh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, some of them, some of them still needed quite a bit of practice at that point. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you. I was like, kind of thinking. Sometimes I think when I see different, uh, when they do different techniques or practicing, like, uh, I wouldn't pay for that if you were doing that to me and I was, you or my physio, or, uh, I I probably wouldn't send my, if I had someone that I cared about and they need physio at this stage, I wouldn't send them your way. (laughs) It's like, yeah, we're going to need some more training, some more placement, some more practice. (laughs) Um, yeah, but that was a cool moment where it's just like, oh, usually I'm in like dressed up and you know, have a bit of a presence when I walk onto campus. Like back when it was, when I was a student, when uh, Pav and I were running the uni, back as um, president and vice president, it's like, oh yeah, people like uh, know who I am when I'm strolling past. And it's like, oh, Tom, come over, like, have a look at this. Like, are we doing this right? Or blah, blah, blah. No, it's like, no, Got <laughs> the I'm like the lurker, the, the stalker, just walking around campus at the moment in the very casual get up and just like, oh, that's a very interesting technique. And Let's hope that <laughs> if I have them and I see that, that's not gonna do well. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so that that's been cool. That was a yeah, that was an interesting story. <laughs> I should have showed up to the. I've done a little bit of marking the prac exams yesterday. That and no day before yesterday on Wednesday. It's Friday, June tenth for me. So, um, but yeah, we, on Wednesday we did a bit of prac exam marking. I should have I should have uh, had the same lurker outfit, the casual Tom get up vibes um, so they could go like, oh, yes, oh, oh, it's that guy again, oh no, I remember when he saw me do this, or he's been watching all along, oh no, (laughs) it would have been nicer to, damn, those, those are big days of marking, where you're marking from, like, 8 till 5 p.m., uh, in, you know, you, you know, get looking professional and that sort of stuff, but it's like, oh, it's a big day to just, like, yeah, it would be way more comfy in socks and slides and and a nice hoodie and um, your Katmandu jacket being all warmed up. Far out. If you're, if you're in Australia, if you're in Sydney at the moment, how, how cold has it been lately? I'm, I'm feeling it at the moment, (laughs) but I'm also thinking like, oh, Tom, like you didn't work, like you didn't really have to get up much last winter early in the morning to go off to work and that sort of thing. Like you were mainly work from home and like sleeping in a bit because it was like lockdowns and that sort of stuff so I'm like why is this winter feeling so cold compared to like last few winters but it's like oh no it's been a few years when you're working like out in the city and having to like get up at 6am and go drive you know an hour an hour and a half and go be do your physio work and that sort of stuff so maybe it's just oh, the recency bias and the cold bias but I had a day where I think it was yesterday where I had to go out to uni and I was in the car at 7am and Parv had already left. So I was like, oh my gosh, even crazier for her. But I, it showed the temperature in my car and it was like three degrees outside and my windshield was frozen. And I was like, oh, this is not good. What am I doing? <laughs> um, far out. Having an electric electric blanket on your bed at the moment is like such a godsend, but then it's also a curse because it's like, no, oh, you can't survive without it but it's like i don't want to get out of bed and every morning it's like pushing it to the last possible second or it's like okay i have to get up now because it's it's too warm to leave but it's like oh if i don't leave now it going. To, i'm gonna be late oh. if you're out there at the moment in sydney or in, in the australian winter and you're you don't have an electric blanket on your, on your bed how do you do it that's crazy i say <laughs> just one more thing i guess that i've found interesting about the teaching at the moment and just wondering if other people sort of think like this or at similar stages in their sort of job or career where it's like yeah you're in you're in this sort of space or industry or the job that you want to you want to work in but you're still sort of working your way up or there's still like you know for me being like a casual uh, academic sort of thing just started this year with you said teaching like it's been awesome it's what I want to do can see myself like doing more tutoring and lecturing and coordinating different subjects or coordinating the like a physio degree for a university one day and would love to do that, but then it's just so interesting again, being on the other side of the curtain and seeing how the teachers or the staff do things compared to like how you thought it was done as a student and yeah, things being. Yeah, just like how things are run, basically, and like for example, well, just at the moment, I'm just like going through often when I'm working and going like, oh, that's an interesting way that we're doing this right now, and like being very conscious about sort of locking things in my mind, being like, yeah, like this works, but there's better ways to do things, and I'm not just silent and not just like, oh. I'll just let everyone suffer, let the students suffer. Or if there's a better way, not raise it and talk about why we're not doing it. But then often again, me coming in new, like for them, not, you know, being the least experienced sort of still working my way, you know, growing my voice, growing my like reputation and experience and showing everyone that you like belong here, that sort of thing. But it's like, yeah, I think here's a way that we could improve things if it's not like received that well, that's okay. But it's like, one day I'll be the one like coordinating this or I'll have more of a voice or, you know, I'll be able to call the shots a little bit more. And just remembering, I don't know, I just don't like the whole adage or reason. Like we've just, we've always done it this way and we don't want to like rock the boat and it ain't broke so don't fix it. Like I get that, but then it's also like, well, we can... Uh, you know, one day it might eventually get broke. So <laughs> why don't we fix it or improve it so we can prevent that or there's just better ways to do it. So I'm just trying to like, there's good things about um, how things have, have been done at the moment and it's like, okay, I like that. I'll, I I want to keep that in place going forward. But then there's also like, why are we doing this this way? Or who started it? Or what, Yeah, what's the reason for doing it like this? and just trying to lock those in my mind and be like okay when it's my when it's my course or I'm coordinating it or I've been here for a longer time yeah things might be different and there's just more effective or efficient or yeah does that does that happen to you guys in in your type of industries or work whatever it is cuz like like an example was with the prac exams for this end of semester was like, um, we did it like one, I did one day of marking from the whole day. And as you do, you like, you give the student a score, but then you like your score has to be really justified and you have to give lots of feedback and, um, not like a full, like, you know, a four page, but probably like half a page or a third of the page and being like, um, Really linking it to the marking criteria and using like the correct terminology, and yeah, really justifying why you're giving that score because it's important for them to get feedback to improve those things that they've done wrong and do better next time. But then also, um, if they were to contest the score or like, yeah, exactly, thought that they did better, you need to be like, you better have it like be ready for them to come at you and be like, oh, I thought I I thought I thought got 100%. Why didn't you give me full marks? And it's like, okay, well, you did this and this, so this could have been improved or you lost, lost a point here or this was a key part of the technique and you didn't do that. Um, anyway, so this, like, for this marking period, the different faculties or different schools in physiotherapy were like, we're not going to give any feedback. We're just going to give um, the students scores, like a raw score, whatever it is, but we're not going to, like, justify our feedback. We're going to take feedback during the exam, but we're not going to post it out to them. We're not going to give it to them when we, when they see their results. And I was like, what, why does that make sense? And they're like, okay, because other faculty are doing that, we're not going to do that now. We're going to all keep it the same. And I get, it would be weird if it's like, oh, you know, the neuro subjects, they didn't give you feedback, but here in, you know, private practice physio, we are giving you feedback. And then the kids would be like, oh, what the heck, Neuro's so bad, they didn't give us feedback, but then this unit did, so they're trying to keep it, like, all standardised, so it's like, no, we all just got scores, but it's like, okay, I got a 15 out of 20, the prac exam was, like, a month ago, I can't remember what I did, yeah, what did I do wrong? Or how can I get better? I just got this score, and it's like, I don't know what I did right, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know, that doesn't make sense to me. It's like, we're taking the feedback anyway... So yeah, they asked us, take feedback, but we're not going to post it out to them. You're just going to give them the score. And then only if the student challenges you about it and books a meeting with you, then give them the feedback. But it's like, we've already taken the feedback. Why don't we just give it to them straight away? Oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't get that one cheap. (laughs) Um, yeah, (laughs) that's something like that. Um and there's just yeah there's other examples or instances and it's not all like exactly like I said before it's not all bad things there's good things where it's like oh from when I was a student they didn't do this and then like in the last couple years since I've um, come away and come back to teaching they've changed the course and implemented this new strategy or this new activity or new way of doing things and I really like that I want to keep doing that in the future but then there's other things where it's like oh like this and other instances where I'm like, I need to remember this and I need to, yeah, remember how it it makes me feel. Remember how I think it makes the students feel. And like this other staff members on the team too are like a bit like, oh, we're taking the feedback, but we're not giving it to them. Like, what's the point? Anyway, this, does that happen to you guys with things too, where you think about, oh, this is not going the way that I would do things or I would do things differently, but I I don't really, I'm not in the position to change it right now, but I'm going to remember this type of thing so that when it it is my time to shine or it is my moment when I'm calling the shots, things can be different or I can do it a different way. Cause it's like, I don't want to get to where I'm in that position and just go, Oh yeah, we've always done it the same way or that's how we did it last year. And that, that worked (laughs) in brackets. So, um, yeah. That's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking about at the moment. Trying to make little notes about. Okay, one day, Tom. One day. The last sort of noteworthy thing that's happened in the last week or two is that Parv and I had a nice like date night and went and saw went out to Vivid in the city and Darling Harbour and did half of Vivid and I think it, it goes until next sunday so it's i think the 17th or 18th of june is the last day that it's on so i know there's supposed to be you look online and you look on like what's supposed to how many attractions there are and there's technically 47 different like vivid attractions across the map going from you know you can they tell you like the most optimal route of like how to see everything like starting from Circular Quay or, like, near the Opera House and wrapping around Circular Quay, going through the rocks, going up towards, like, the Harbour Bridge and then coming around Barangaroo down to Darling Harbour and down towards, sort of, um, uh, what's it called? Say, like, past, like, the Chinese Friendship Gardens and, yeah, down towards that, that way, near, like, Chinatowns type of, type of area, I think. Yeah. That's right. Anyway, lots to do with Vivid, but... had a good time so we just did half we did like the darling harbour barangaroo sort of side and i guess like a cool thing about vivid that i noticed this year and maybe in previous years but i think they've made it a focus this year is they're putting on more like aboriginal and torres strait islander um, or have exhibits that have been put on by aboriginal and torres strait islander people like artists um indigenous artists which i think is really really cool i'm super passionate about And I love they're giving more opportunity, um, to that group of people. That's really cool. Um, they're also doing like, there's like an app that you can download, um, that will like talk through different exhibits, like whether it's like a, you know, an artwork or a light display or, you know, an auditory sort of thing. Um, whatever the sort of exhibit is will give you a bit of background as to what it's trying to say or do or what the inspiration behind it was or who the artist is. And again, that's really cool. Makes it more like interactive and to hear like different stories around it is really cool. Um, Makes it more of like an experience. But, and yeah, had a good time. We're going to go out and do the second half. Going to do, like I said, we went last Sunday, which was a great idea to do it because I've been seeing lots of like tiktoks or instagram posts where people go on like a friday saturday night and it's so packed it's like people just it's like a mosh pit everyone's sort of shoulder to shoulder and yeah that's a bit freaky for me anyway we went on a a sunday night and even went in a a little bit late we started at like 8 p.m um yeah just did like the darling harbor brangaroo sort of area of it and yeah it was nice got some nice pictures um I don't know, just like the best part, just hanging out with like your person, right? And having, being able to chat and being in a nice place and see cool visuals and stuff. But I don't know what other people think, but it's like each year, maybe from like 2016 or 2017 onwards, I feel like Vivid has been in like a little bit underwhelming. And I feel like I'm sounding like the boomer where it's like, you know, back in my day, <laughs> Vivid used to be so good and now it's trash. <laughs> um, but <laughs> back in my day, <laughs> Vivid was so good. Back in 2016, 2017, I think Vivid has tried to, like, grow in terms of that it used to just be very visual displays. And now it's trying to do, like, multi-sensory type of thing where... There's things that you can look at. There's things that you can hear, and there's things that you can touch, and there's things that, oh, maybe not maybe you know you can't smell, <laughs> you can't smell. <laughs> there are smells out there, um, but not not because of it. <laughs> um, but they're trying to expand it, so it's more of like more sensory input, and um, yeah, like a total like a whole body type of experience rather than just unidimensional, just like flashing lights or colorful lights type of thing. But maybe I'm just a moth, a moth drawn to a flame or due, <laughs> to one of those bug zappers where it's like pretty lights. That's what I appreciate most. And they had one year where it was just like a hundred meter tunnel full of like, um, yeah, this like semicircular tunnel, almost like you're on like a rainbow road type of thing where they're this big archway of uh lights that you just walk through and it's like, man, even if vivid was just that, I feel like that beats anything that they've done since then. Um, I don't know. I just what do you guys think? I think I really appreciate the the visual sort of stuff and I don't know. I've been underwhelmed since four or five years ago and I thought, oh, with COVID happening the last couple of years and it being cancelled, they really could have like come back and just gone like zero to a hundred fully like thrown money at this, made it like a really, really cool experience and I don't know, I've just been underwhelmed by some of the exhibits where it's like, uh, meh uh, okay, cool. It's not Rainbow Road or anything. And it's like I think about near where where I live in uh in Norwest, we have a Hillsong church, and I think definitely at Christmas, but even other times, maybe Easter as well. It's like guys, forget Vivid, okay? Hillsong is the new Vivid. Hillsong at Christmas, that's the real Vivid because they have that um, light archway. that's like a fifty meters through their car park. They've got these light up Santas uh, like a Santa sleigh, and all these reindeers. They have these huge like crystal balls or like ball boils, multicolored and all these like presents that are lit up and stuff. It's like really, really cool. If you haven't been there, definitely this Christmas go to Hillsong out at Norwest. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not trying to convert anyone, but it's just, it's a great time. You have like some great photos. It's really cool. Uh, yeah, like exhibits, light displays. And it's like, damn, even forget Hillsong. I've been to other people's, you know, just from Uh, you know, touring Christmas lights and that sort of stuff in that sort of period uh, around Christmas, New Year's. It's like, I've seen better light displays at just random people's houses than at Vivid the last couple of years. (laughs) Shots, shots fired, (laughs) the New New South Wales government need to step up the displays. Like I said, I get what they're trying to do. They make it more like more of a sensory experience. Um, But yeah, maybe it's just a personal thing. For me, I'm more of like a visual learner and a visual type of guy. So like a moth drawn to the flame, I want to see like a, a full bonfire. I want to see um, like a bushfire that like, <laughs> then my eyes are like wide open. If I just see a little lighter or a candle, it's like, oh, that's okay. But I'm not, I'm not flying towards that. <laughs> um, one thing about Vivid though too, even though we went on a Sunday night, it's like um, there was still, it was still busy. And I'm glad that we went and started at like 8pm and basically walked around till 10, 10.30, which was good. Um, I was thinking that one of the displays near Darling Harbour is like this light tower where it's got these circles around different poles. And it's kind of like a piano or like a xylophone type of thing. You tap on different circles up the pole and it makes a noise. But I was just thinking like oh, this is interesting display. Like, it's cool. They're trying to make it like more multi-sensory type of experience. But it's like, damn, 100,000 people are like touching this every night. And I don't know, it's lucky that I've had COVID already, but it still makes me a little bit nervous because it's like, damn, if I hadn't had COVID yet, I would not be touching that. <laughs> and it's funny because with each exhibit, there's like little vivid henchmen, these people in like red raincoats or red jackets that are there just kind of like supervising the exhibit and making sure no one like messes with it or damages it but yeah so they're just like hands in pockets just standing there the whole night with their little s- sunglasses on like a little security bouncer outside a nightclub <laughs> it's just like watching everybody but I was thinking especially for those ones why aren't they I don't know it'd be a big job but it's like I don't know they're just getting paid to stand there basically like no one's really gonna mess with it but with those ones that everyone's touching on it putting their like hands on everything. It's like, they should be there with the Glen 20 and some, you know, alcohol wipes or, um, yeah, just wiping down each thing after everyone touches it. Is that possible? Is that feasible? I don't know. But then is it a good idea to have a a touching vivid display exhibit in a pandemic too? I don't know. We are, we are coming out of it and people are caring less now, but I don't know. I'm still a little bit of like, Oh, don't stand so close to me. I'm not, I don't like being in big crowds. And <laughs> Even at the grocery shop, it's like, even at Woolworths or something like that, it's like, oh yeah, um, don't push your trolley too close to me or don't stand too close to me, guys. I don't want you breathing on me. Um, it's funny. Yeah. I I really like the, the social distance, the 1.5, two meters away. It's, it's nice. And then, Yeah. I don't know. Lots of people can say, oh, it's, it's good to see, It is good to see. Uh, no, I agree. It is good to see people out and about again and that sort of stuff, but I don't need to be in any mosh pits anytime soon. I don't need other people <laughs> rubbing shoulders next to me or anything. So if you're not into that, don't go to Vivid on a Friday, Saturday night. Um, yeah, go on a weeknight. That, that, that's a much better play and we'll see. Maybe I'll come back and, uh, we'll have done the second half of vivid we've done we would' have done the opera side and the rock sort of side of Vivid this time, and maybe it's like, oh guys, I was wrong. it was fine uh Vivid was good this year. there were some good exhibits, but just off the darling harbour side, there was the i called it like the cataract display, but it's not cataract, it's like this um macular di- no oh <laughs> I need pub here <laughs> it's the macular or the retina it's set up like the like the eye where it's got this, like, um, they shine like a projector onto this, like, wooden display where it's in, like, a, what's it called? Like, it's like a tube or, like, it's supposed to look, like, from, oh, I'm messing this up. (laughs) I think it's the macula. Anyway, it's, like, the eye where it goes from, like, big outside and then smaller, smaller, smaller um, into, like, sort of a focal point and really cool display. That's probably the coolest one I saw so far. Um, oh, they did, they did have a cool like water show in Darling Harbor, but then <laughs> they were like doing this water show, um, in the middle of Darling Harbor, kind of like how they do it, like Las Vegas, not that I've been, but like outside their casinos, um, on the strip, they do those crazy like water and light shows, but cause it's winter, the water's like freezing cold and it was windy. <laughs> so every time the water would like shoot up from out of the water, it would like, the wind would push it onto everyone who's watching in the crowd, it was like, oh my God, this is so cold <laughs> cold and wet, just standing there watching this. And it's like, oh, this is cool, but I'm like really cold now. <laughs> Come on, we've got to heat the water. That would be, put the money, heat heat the Darling Harbour. No, that would kill the ecosystem a little bit. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Make more visual displays for Tom. That's, that's what you need to do. <laughs> anyway, I've talked long enough for that, um, we will get into some sport, I swear. <laughs> but hopefully, the second half of Vivid near the Opera House and the Rocks is cooler. Just, just uh, hire Hillsong to do Vivid. That's what I'm saying. I think they would do a very good job. They've, um, they've definitely got enough money to do it. I think. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's leave it there. Let's get into some sport. <laughs> Okay, just one more thing before we get into sport, and it's just, you, I can see, like, the analytics on this podcast, and it's, it's, uh, been crazy to see, because it shows one thing, like, not just the amount of listeners, where we have, like, over 100 people listening to this at the moment, but then, uh, it shows, like, from whereabouts, like, geographically, not that, not, like, in a creepy way where you can see, like, oh, this house number or whatever, but, like, generally, sort of, countries and states, and, my my days like i talked about before we got we got someone or people in belgium one of my top listeners is in in belgium in brussels right now so again shout out to them um, send me a message um need to talk about more belgian national sports maybe we can we can do the fastest like they are like into chocolate making and chocolate's a big thing there. No, their national sport would be like football, but it's like, who can, who can eat chocolate, like a chocolate eating contest or Belgian waffles or something like that? No. How do I, how do I, how do I lose my Belgian listenership in five seconds here? How do I offend my Belgian listeners? Um, no, I really appreciate you, but I, I saw too that there's Um, we've got people in middle America in like Kansas, I think, listening to this as well. So shout out to you guys out there, middle America, Midwest America, you do it tough out there. I know. So (laughs) what the heck? Um, and then we've got people in freaking Thailand too. What the heck, man? What the heck guys? This is crazy. Um, thank you guys so much. Send me a message. Um, would love to connect with you guys. Send me in a question. Keep uh, messaging me on TomPatterson97 at Instagram with any questions or suggestions. Um, Thanks for all the support so far. Let's get into it. We're going to talk about a local sport first. We're going to talk about (laughs) Australian Rugby League. Oh, my days. What the heck? He he does do Australian sports Um, now. It's only because it was Origin. It's only because it was, a, you know, the best the best players playing. Um, but I had a really nice night a couple nights ago with uh, a couple good friends watching um, The State of Origin um, with Pav and I. Had a nice dinner beforehand and then was watching Game 1 uh, together, which was really cool. I don't know if I would watch this Origin if I was just watching it by myself. Like, man, it's a little bit too... I don't know. I've just lost my love for NRL a little bit and was trying to see if I could rekindle it. And well, not like that. I'm totally out of love with the sport, but it's just, there's a time when it was a religion to me where it was like, don't talk to me Friday night, Friday night football. That's me. And <laughs> Sunday afternoon I'm watching like religiously. Um, gotta be home every Sunday afternoon, gotta be home every Friday night. Um, like, beg my mum, like, let's go out to the pub, or let's go somewhere where we can watch the football, like, on Saturday nights, because it's not on free-to-air TV, because it's on, like, Foxtel, uh, all my, all my friends who struggled without Foxtel growing up know that struggle, (laughs) um, so yeah, watch game one, man, it was, it was intriguing, um, just a few things stuck out to me watching it and like reflecting on this too, before I like bad mouth the NRL too much, um, I kind of like thought about uh, like s- some comments that Miguel said to me last week and that um, I know he found it really cool that even though he didn't know much about some of the sports I was talking about, like basketball or NFL, it's cool that I'm still talking about and cool to listen to someone who's talking about something passionately, and still cares about it and has interesting sort of views and um you know when you go and talk to other people that do know about that sport you can like um you do now know a few of the players or know the few things that's going on which is a really cool thing and yeah I really appreciated that and it made me think oh maybe I could like not talk about the NRL because I'm not as passionate about it but then watching it there were still lots of things that intrigued me and would be interesting to talk about And interesting what you guys would think so and then if it helps other people talk to other people who are into NRL as well that's like a really cool feeling too so anyway what stuck out to me with this origin game one it was in New South Wales but then I don't know if I'm just not following enough NRL teams on Instagram or on my like, yeah, social media or what I see on YouTube and stuff, but it was like, I didn't see it advertised on TV or online very much, but then it still got a massive crowd of 80,000 people, but on the night that they were playing, I was having to ask, like, Tristan, Charlie, and Pav, like, is this is this being played in New South Wales or is this in Queensland? It's in, it's in Queensland, right? Because I haven't heard anything about this game being here, but... Apparently it was. (laughs) I've just been living under a rock. Um, So it was like, okay, New South Wales have all those crazy dudes with the blue wigs in the stands for them, um, cheering them on. Surely, like, home ground advantage, they have to win game one because game two is out in Western Australia in a few weeks and then game three is in Queensland. And that's something that's switched up in the past few years where they're trying to grow the game in different States. And I think eventually get a team out to WA or get a team out in different areas. Like they've played, they're playing just normal club games of NRL in Northern Territory, far north Queensland, South Australia, I think even Tasmania, um, a little bit too. Um, so obviously it's like trying to grow the game a bit more. Whereas in previous years, it would be like a flip of a coin who gets the third game. Like, you know, each state definitely plays one in their home. So like always one in New South Wales, always one in Queensland, but then, you know, alternating years, the third game, the deciding game usually would be played in either New South Wales or Queensland. So then one team gets a big advantage of having that extra home game. Um So then now with it being more neutral, I don't know, it's not as big a deal. The home ground advantage of the second game Cause it's more of an, like a neutral site but still important to win your home games I think always that's something in like every sport I think that translates this across um, so yeah but let's get into like a few things that were very notable or things that I found cool and the first one was that uh, during the game like while the game was going on the commentators were able to pan and we could see you know the New South Wales coach Brad Fitler or the Queensland coach uh, Billy Slater, you know, they would ask them. They had them mic'd up and in the comment, well, not in the commentary box, but could ask them a question, and the camera would go over to them. And they were, we were getting live, you know, coaching or live analysis from the the two coaches, which I thought that's really cool. But then also, it's like, oh, is that a bit disruptive? Like you're you're interrupting them a little bit, and I don't know. It's it's weird access to have because it's like, oh, are there like Potentially, you don't want to do it because then maybe you know you have Queensland henchmen or Queensland assistant coaches or Queensland staff members who are watching that game happen and listening to the New South Wales coach and like, oh, if he reveals too much or like reveals his tactic, they're like, oh, you know, Brad Fittler and the New South Wales coach said this. Okay, at halftime, you know, we know what they're trying to do. It gives them a little bit of advantage, but then if you do it for both sides maybe it equalized the advantage, but then, I don't know, it seemed like it it all depends on like which coach reveals more. I don't know. It was like, that's never really been done before in sport really. Um, and I thought it was really, I don't know. I was taken aback by it. I was like, wow, this is really weird. I don't know. It, it interrupts the flow a little bit. I don't know. Would you want to be bothered if you were like, doing something you're really, like, passionate about, really cared about, really locked in about, trying to focus, and someone's like, oh, Tom, or, like, oh, you know, what are you doing right now? And talk us through this, or why did you make that decision? It's like, oh, leave me alone, guys. <laughs> I'll talk to you, you know, I talked to you before the game, I talked to you the previous few days before the game, and I'll talk to you after the game. Just let me <laughs> coach the game. This is what I get paid to do. Um, Leave me alone, man. <laughs> uh." But it, yeah, it I don't know, maybe I'm just not used to it, but it's cool and creepy and a bit weird at the same time. It's just like I don't know. It's a bit of a cop out cuz it's like you have all these so-called experts like they bring in Cameron Smith, they bring in Paul Gallen. They should be able to break down what you think the coach is doing so that you don't need to get the coach on. When like all these commentators are being paid so much amounts of money. Otherwise, you can just have like two guys down at the pub basically commentating this game and then oh okay we're just talking a lot of shit let's just cross to the actual coach who just to make sure we know what we're talking about or we have no idea let's see if we're actually right about what we're guessing but it's like no you guys know the game you guys have played for 10-15 years and other or the commentators have watched it for their whole life you guys should know what's going on you don't need to like cop out and go like okay, tell the viewers like what's happening basically because we're not doing a good enough like talking about it. Um, I don't know, that's my sort of take or read on it. Again, I think I'm just not used to it happening and the more I see it happen that we do cross to coaches, I'll be a bit more used to it and as long as it's equal, as long as, I don't know, I just don't expect the coaches to say very much and both of them were quite like tight-lipped about it. So, I don't know. It's just interesting because they are both like not really looking at the camera. They're both like so locked into the game that they're not really giving super like specific answers to whatever the commentators are saying. Like, oh, what do you think's happening right now, Billy? That's like, oh yeah, we're doing okay. And we just need to do like better. And yeah, we've got to stop doing like turnovers. It's like, okay, no shit, bro. <laughs> like, Unless you're going to give us like some detailed analysis, something extra that the commentators can't provide, then it's a bit like redundant and distracting for them and that's where it's like I don't like it as much but I don't know I think it's like it shakes things up for for people and it's like I don't know cool for cool for the viewer that like maybe just thinks about it more casually it's like oh there's Brad Fittler like let's see what how he like does he look nervous at the moment does he look you know stressed or is he calm that sort of thing I guess he can that's a cool I don't know that's like an extra body language way you can look at it too which maybe I wasn't thinking about, but yeah. What do you guys think? Distracting or, or, or cool, an extra like insight into the game. The next thing that sort of stuck out to me watching throughout the game was that in all of these bigger games, like the grand finals origins, um, maybe, like, the international games, where it is more of, like, the best of the best players, how the game is refereed differently, and I think it's the same for lots of sports, but I don't know how you guys find it, but it's a bit, like, frustrating to watch, and, yeah, it makes me a bit confused, where it's, like, okay, you want to have a more physical game, and there's bigger hits allowed, like, You know, people are allowed to basically shoulder barge each other and, you know, three people are allowed in the tackle, twisting legs and doing all this stuff. But then in a regular season game, like just last week or next week's game, you do those same hits. The same player does the exact same hit they would do at Origin and would get a penalty, be penalized for it or be sin binned, but just because they're doing it in this game and you know, people want to see it in brackets, like, it's okay and it's fine, and it's like, okay, that's the physical nature of the game that you want to do. Like, where's the consistency with that? And I think, you know, lots of sports in NRL too is trying to move into and been pressured and I like it, where it's they're trying to make safety a bigger priority. Safety a bigger part of a sport, right? We don't want to see people get injured. And, you know, it's they've done lots of research about how many You know, G forces are like happening when people do those shoulder charge tackles or really big hits, um, and hitting people like in the head or those type of like big tackles that just aren't allowed. And it's like the equivalent of being in you know car accidents at high speed. Like it gives you concussions, it breaks bones, it um, it really injures players. And we saw so many injuries. um, Not last night, but a couple this in this game one where you just wouldn't see it in a normal season because that's why they've tried to stamp it out. They've tried to make safety a a bigger priority. And then we have these games where it's like, oh, come on, like, it's state of origin. It's about toughness. It's about heart. It's about effort. And I understand that. But ref it like that during, like, work out what you want. If you want to see that type of play, let's let's say safety is not important in the regular season too. Like, these are our best players. Why... You know, do you you want to see our best players injured in the sport? Surely not, right? So then why are we refereeing it differently and why are we prioritizing safety differently during regular season games versus these bigger, more important games? We want to see these best players. You know, this was only game one. It's a three-game series. We want to see these best players play in game two and game three. And then it kind of sucks. Like, if I was a head coach... Of one of these players for, you know, Penrith or the Storm, the Roosters, or any of these ones that got injured at game one, it's like, okay, well, there goes our season now. Like, we've donated you our best player. He's been in form. He deserves to be on the team. Plays game one. Safety's now thrown out the window. They get injured. They're our best player. Okay, there goes our playoff, playoff hopes, or there goes our season now. Better luck next year. Like, it's it's unfair that you know, your player can be selected and then because of the, the change in rules, the change of intensity, that they're more prone to injury and then now they're gone for the rest of the season or they're gone for a few months and that means you lose more games and maybe previously you had a shot at the finals or the playoffs and, and now you don't. And I think it's because of that, the way that the game is refereed, which is confusing and sad to me to see. And it just doesn't make sense. Um, especially then with like the controversial calls that happen in the game, like they're, they're not like refereeing properly the high tackles and yeah, those big hits, but then they want to be really pedantic about obstructions. And then they call an obstruction against, you know, Junior Paulo, the New South Wales player and deny him, um, that first try in the early second half, I think. And then later on, Junior Paulo is, like, held back in the scrum and Queensland get a try when it should have been reviewed by the bunker for an obstruction there. And, again, that's, like, the thing that I was talking about a few episodes in the podcast where it was, like, the way the NRL bunker works and any fan, anybody watching that game, anywhere at the stadium could see that that was an obstruction or that was the wrong call. But on the biggest stage, biggest game... The referees are not able to make the right call consistently. Like, to the, of, to the letter of the law, I guess it was obstruction. And I'm fine with them ruling out that New, New South Wales try for Junior Polo, where he scored it. And another New South Wales player obstructed him. Fine. Sure. Whatever. Take away the entertainment. Whatever. That's fine. But at least be consistent with it then. <laughs> if Queensland do a very same equivalent, then you got to take the try off there. <laughs> like, what's happening? And in both instances, right, the referee had already signaled try, and then the bunker, you know, whispers in the referee's ears. It's like, okay, no, 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 there's something going on there. We're going to have a look at it. And they look at it for the first one, but they don't look at it for the second one. Um yeah that doesn't make sense to me (laughs) um so i wouldn't say that's why new south wales lost this game like new south wales ended up losing this game 16 to 10 um yeah a bit frustrating because new south wales had that four nil lead for so long and it felt like new south wales were up by 20 um and more sort of dominant and playing better in that first half but i was you know we were all saying as we were watching it you know you can't let Queensland let let these Maroons hang around. They have too much like championship DNA. They're too good at comebacks, and four points is nothing. Like they just need one try and they're winning, and that's what they did. And they slowly built up the lead. New South Wales got desperate, um, and then we're just playing, yeah, too desperate, too sort of hail mary, trying to win the game at of every off every play. You know, doing offloads that weren't necessary no-look passes, um, poor kicks, um, poor last tackle options. Um, Yeah, they just missed that sort of calm presence that Cameron Munster, um, Kalen Ponga for the Maroons really brung to their team versus New South Wales kind of running around like headless chickens, just, oh, we're losing the game, we've got to score right now. And it was like, these guys are playing like it's like five minutes to go, and there was still... 25, 20, 15 minutes left. And I get wanting to, you know, play with intensity and to get the lead back. But like with everything in life, there's like a balance to everything, right? You don't want to be too laissez-faire, sitting back, relaxed, like, oh, we've got time. Don't worry, we'll do it. You do want to force things a little bit, not force things, but you do want to play with a little bit of urgency, but trying to offload the ball on every tackle and getting intercepted or um, yeah, doing these fancy kicks or wasting last tackle options or getting like stripped of the ball super easily one-on-one. Um, yeah, that was really, really frustrating to watch. So, uh, like it was just like another classic New South Wales game where they, they get the lead early, especially a classic New South Wales game one, where they look like the better side, technically have the better players. All these Queensland players are getting injured. A couple New South Wales injuries, but we were watching the game, and I was like, "Oh, Maroons might come back here." And then Tristan was like, "Oh, no way! They've got like five players gone down. They've had to use so many of their bench players already. They'll get tired." But these Maroons players never get tired. I swear that you can never count them out. Um, Yeah, they—they're so impressive. They always play together, and they just have such a great team bond team unity that can carry over years um yeah crazy (laughs) crazy crazy collapse by new south wales exactly what i was saying before classic new south wales game one where you think they're gonna win and that's gonna put them in a good place for the series and then they end up losing the game they'll probably go and win game two and it's like oh yep new south wales look good again and then they get pumped in game three so (laughs) we'll see what happens um I don't know. I'm still so <laughs> salty and so heartbroken from the eight years in a row. From, I think in. When was that? I think in like middle primary school for me. So maybe like 2005 to like 2013 or t- maybe like 2004 to 2012, where Queensland won the Origin series eight years in a row. And I swear, New South Wales have won it a few times recently, but until they. <laughs> I'm going to need New South Wales to win it like five years in a row for, for me <laughs> to heal that heartbreak. I swear. Um, yeah. Just winning one year and then Queensland winning again. Yeah. It's different. Um, I think it's such an advantage for Queensland having had, you know, Meninga for so long. Like the continuity of coaching shouldn't be underestimated. Like they had Mal Meninga who won them or helped coach them through that whole winning series with those eight years in a row. And then now Billy Slater has is in his first year as the Maroons coach. And he was basically a staple throughout that Maroons side for all that time. So they just have this winning culture and these players that can instill that um yeah that winning culture that know how to win have that championship dna that that don't panic you know once they go down they don't drop their heads they just play even harder and they almost prefer it cuz it almost like kicks them into gear um yeah a little bit like the chiefs for the nfl like it's like okay once we're down that's when we start playing properly and you know okay we underestimated you a little bit but we're we're happy to come in and we'll we'll still win the game it's fine so uh, I think I'm, I'd be very scared of the Maroons the rest of the series. And now I think Billy Slater will do a great job as the Maroons coach. And who knows, maybe maybe there's another eight-year um, drought or depression coming for the New South Wales team. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was game one. Queensland handling business 16 to 10. And then game two is in three weeks in Western Australia. So let's look forward to that. Um, Like I said, I'm predicting a New South Wales victory, and it's all, okay, New South Wales are fine, there's no need to panic, and then I think game three, Queensland, go back to Queensland and pump them like (laughs) 40-0. Let's see. Alrighty, let's move into some basketball now, and we're we're in the NBA Finals, baby! It's going on right now between Golden State, who's representing the Western Conference, and Boston Celtics, who are the um, champions of the Eastern Conference, and that's what the Finals is. Like we got the the best of the West playing the best of the East. Oh, it's been it's been a crazy series at the moment, a bit unexpected. So we've had three games. And Boston has a lead on Golden State, and they're winning two to one, which is unexpected because technically Golden State. I think I had this wrong, and thanks to everyone that you know, you guys love to <laughs> point out when I'm I've got uh, I've made a bit of a mistake, and I, I love that. It keeps me accountable. It's fine. Um, I was saying that Boston would have um, had home court advantage for this series you know, had four out of seven games if needed because they're technically the number two seed in the East and the Warriors are the number three seed in the West. So I was thinking, okay, like Boston number two over number three, they have the home court. But it actually works where Golden State have home court because they won more regular season games. They won 56 games versus the Celtics, I think, only won 52. And because they won more it's like, okay, Golden State has home court advantage. So that's why it's a bit more surprising that Boston, after three games, is up 2-1 to because Boston came in to game one and they beat Golden State on their own home turf, on their own home court. Um, That was, yeah, I'll go into each game sort of very quickly and give a quick recap. Um, So game one, Golden State came out firing, Steph had like 21 in the first quarter, Steph Curry, he was getting everything he wanted, anything, um, you know, we know how good a three point shooter he was and Boston were like doing this weird defense where they basically weren't marking him, they were marking everybody else but Steph Curry and they were like, oh okay, we're just betting on Steph Curry not to hit wide open threes and Steph Curry was like, okay, thank you, I'll (laughs) that's a bad bet i'll take that bet every day (laughs) um so yeah steph curry helped Golden state to a massive first quarter but then it was one of those games where by halftime boston were actually still in the game and actually had the lead at halftime like they had a great second quarter came back were just playing it as as a team um it was really cool because it was a very entertaining series to watch because Boston are playing the same type of offense as Golden State, where they're doing that motion offense, basically, you know, playing, they're both playing like piggy in the middle with the other team, like making the other team run around a lot, having to cover lots of space, doing quick passes, having other people run around, and, you know, each team on defense is like the piggy in the middle, having to frantically chase and try to cover space and try to like, yeah put pressure on the person with the ball um, rather than just play one-on-one hero ball or isolation setting screens um, and just okay I think I'm gonna out dribble you or yeah I'm gonna dunk it on your head that type of thing so yeah game one was interesting because at halftime Boston was able to stay with Golden State even though they were like having a big flurry of points and a lot of the calls weren't going their way there was lots of it was a very physical game and Golden State was getting called um, lots of fouls in their favor. Um, whereas Boston like had the same sort of things happen to them, but the referees weren't being nice. So it was like, oh, a little bit biased. But that's what the home kind of advantage is. Like you have the crowd behind you, the referees are influenced by that. Um, you know, by having you know, when a Golden State player gets down or gets touched or has, has a foul, the crowd's like screaming and that influences the referee to to make the call. Whereas if a Boston player, that happens to them, the crowd's cheering or they're booing them. Um, so it definitely would play on the official's mind, but they were able to stay with it. And then third quarter after halftime, Golden State always do this if you haven't watched it. or If you haven't watched Golden State play, if you're the coach of the other team, you have to go, guys, watch out the 1st five ten minutes after halftime, Golden State always go crazy. They always have these big third-quarter explosions. Like, someone's called Steph Curry or Klay Thompson or Draymond Green and gone, you know, you have to drop like 30 points this quarter, and, or we're going to like kidnap your first-born child type of thing, or we're going to take away something that you love, and they're just like, oh shit, okay, I'll turn it on right now. I'm going to play the best I've ever played. So they always just come out crazy in the third quarter, like firing all these shots they can't miss, and they blew Boston out the water. And then at the end of the third quarter, the Golden State, Golden State coach, you know, they had a bit of a lead; they had twelve point lead. And then Steve Kerr's like, "Okay, Steph, Clay, all my best players, come on the bench. We've got a bit of a lead. Let's pack it up. We've won this game." And then in the fourth quarter, Boston were like oh no, they took offense to that, oh no you don't, Steve Kerr, we're still around, we're still here, and then they just hit every shot in the fourth quarter, basically, they couldn't miss, the the hoop on the Boston Celtics side was like the size of, uh, oh, I don't know, <laughs> like a hula hoop, um, and whereas Golden State's, you know, basketball hoop on their side, they were like m- missing everything, they were bricking everything, it was like, you know, their side, um, the rim was like a teacup and Boston Celtics had a hula hoop to aim at. Everything was going in. Boston couldn't li- uh, couldn't miss, couldn't lose. All their players, like all their role players, like the other guys, Al Horford, um, Cedric White, Marcus Smart, they all contributed with like 30, 25, 20 points. And basically on Golden State side, it was just Steph Curry versus the world. And they got out of that, motion offense and started playing more slow down, not passing as much, not as much teamwork, people not running around, um, moving for each other. So Boston had it way easier on defense and Boston were able to come back. And yeah, they won game one. I'm a bit sad because (laughs) Golden State are kind of my team. I really like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. I really like those players. Um, not that I'm rooting against the Celtics, because like, yeah, like Pat asked me the other day, like, would you be sad if Boston won this series? And I was like, no, I wouldn't be sad if they won because they would deserve it, and I'd be happy for them. But it'd be, I'd be sad if Golden State lose, just because I really like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson has been through a lot with like those two catastrophic, you know. ACL knee injury and the Achilles tendon rupture of the ankle, you know, and then he's come back to be a professional basketball player again when no one thought he could. And, you know, they built their team. They didn't buy their team. I really like that. And the way they play is really exciting and cool to watch. Um, So I'm not rooting against the Celtics, but it was a bit sad to see them win game one because it was like, I knew what it meant. It's huge to win that first game, especially away from home. But then... Golden State responded in the second game, and it was basically the exact same game as game one, right? Where, you know, very close at halftime, Golden State did this big third quarter explosion like they always do. It's like their copyrighted move. But then this time, Golden State just didn't choke it away. They kept the lead, kept the pressure on until the fourth quarter, throughout the fourth quarter, and sealed the game. Won it by like 20 points. But then we come back to Boston, so now it's one all. It's game three. Wait, this just happened yesterday, and yeah, Boston just blew them out the water. And this is where Boston's size. So they've got taller players on Boston, and even their short players, like their guards, the play the players that shoot their three pointers, are taller than uh, you know Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Jordan Poole, the short guys for. Golden State so I was like even Boston's short guys are taller than a Golden State's short guys so you know size is a big thing in basketball um it gets you more rebounds it helps with your defense and that was the difference in the game both teams shot the same amount like the same percentage from three points and two points but just like Robert Williams Al Horford Tice um who else, like Jason Tatum, were all able to out-rebound Golden State's players and got them second, third opportunities. So if both teams are like shooting the same percentage, but Boston get more chances, they're going to win the game. And that's what it came down to, just more chances at shooting the basketball. And Golden State just turned it over too much in the fourth quarter where it was even, it was tied, it was a tie game going into the fourth quarter. And yeah, Golden State was just really reckless, careless with the basketball. They got a bit tired, where again, they weren't running around for each other, weren't doing their sort of normal offense. They were just playing very, you know, one on one or you know, Clay Thompson, save us, Steph Curry, save us, rather than let's all play together, let's all move together, let's run around, let's make it confusing, let's try to keep tiring them out, this is our time to capitalize. Um, So it really came down to that, like Boston were were more aggressive in the paint area than Golden State. Um, Boston had 47 points in the paint versus Golden State's 32, so quite a big disparity there that tells you that, like, Uh, The Celtics were more like driving the basketball aggressive, attacking the rim, trying to dunk on the the shorter Golden State players, which is exactly what they should be trying to do. Um, And yeah, Celtics just didn't give the ball away. They had the size advantage, getting second chance points. One thing that I kind of think about, and I'd be interested to hear what you guys think too, is that Steph Curry was like on fire in the third quarter. Boston had a massive lead in the first and second quarter of Game 3. And then Steph Curry just turned on the magic. He was just hitting three-pointers, getting open. Like, he couldn't miss. But then he hadn't really had much of a break throughout the game. So then the Golden State coach, Steve Kerr, was like, okay, Steph, come have a come have a sit, come have a rest on the bench, freshen up a bit, I'll get you back out there. And while he did that, that's when Boston went on like this massive run and Golden State's bench was in. They weren't able to really score points. They weren't able to defend well. They didn't play with a lot of energy. You know, their best defender, Draymond Green fouled out. Um, Yeah. It was a bit of a disaster. And it's like, I understand you don't want to like get Steph Curry injured by playing him too much because yeah, if you overwork him, maybe he rolls his ankle or gets a knee injury. Or, you know, pulls a shoulder muscle or something if you play him too much, right? He can't play the whole game. Like we saw that in the last series with Jimmy Butler, what that does to your team, right? You start missing easy shots and you can't carry your team if you're having to play the whole time. You need to have a little spell on the bench. But I think it was a bad timing to give him a rest then because he was on fire and then it's like he put, you know... Put a blindfold on him and got him out of his rhythm. Like you know, it's like if you're really locked in, like you're doing, you know, whatever you you know, the most productive time of the day is for you to do work, or you're doing an assignment, you're doing a test, and you're like finally in the flow of it. You're halfway through an essay, halfway through an assignment, or you know, fixing something, building something. You're halfway through it, and then someone says, "Oh, just you come over here, just sit down for a bit, have a break, and then try to come back to it when you are like in the flow of it." or you know, you're an artist and you're painting something and someone says, oh, come on, you know, just stop there and come back to it tomorrow, you're out of the rhythm. And it takes you a little bit of time to get back into it. And I think that's what we saw in this game with Steph Curry is that he was playing so well, but then got cold sitting on the bench and kind of had to get back into his rhythm, warm up a bit again. And by that point, Golden State had lost the lead and Boston had run up the score again and, yeah, Boston was able to win by twenty points, and one of those games where you look back and go, "Damn, Boston is leading this series two to one, but in that first game, golden State you know choked away the game in the fourth quarter, they did what they were supposed to do in game two and won the game, and then, man, if they just play with some more energy, they were right there until the fourth quarter, and again, kind of choked away the game in the fourth quarter, so It's a very competitive series. They have to win game four tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, If you're interested in watching that one, it's going to happen at 11 a.m. Sydney, like Australian Eastern Standard Time. Man, it's in Boston again. And that's, that's the big advantage, like I said, of winning game one, where because Boston won that first game at home, now, no, away from home, now they only have to just win their away games. So... Golden State. If they go down three-one, I don't think they they can do a, a reverse Cavs against this team. Like you can already see Golden State being a bit tired, and they need their taller players to play with more energy. Like they're still outmatched on the size sort of front, but they need Andrew Wiggins. They need you know Otto Porto Jr. or a Porto Jr. <laughs> to play. Uh, with more energy and not give up as many rebounds they need draymond green to play smarter and with less um like be less emotional throughout the game and not foul out not give up like stupid fouls they need clay thompson to shoot better like it's been amazing to see him return and i really want to see him win the championship but he's looked a little bit off shooting like he isn't the same clay of two three years ago i think he will find his feet but he needs to find his feet sooner rather than later um to get this championship man it's gonna be really hard for them to win in boston um i don't know we'll see if if i'm boston you have to play this game like a must win like it's such a different feel and it gives up their advantage if they lose this game for because then it's like oh okay it's basically like golden state won the first two games at home and boston won their first two at home too like they were supposed to and then Golden State has home court again if they lose this game. So, man, oh, yeah. So game four, if Boston win, they'll be up 3-1, and they just need to win one more game out of the remaining three. So, oh, it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous for Golden State. I still think they can do it. They just need to have better fourth quarters and need to play with more energy. Um... Like I said before this series started, turnovers. Turnovers are ter- like hurting Golden State so much because it's almost like every time you turn it over, it's like a a five or a six-point swing because you're losing the chance at a two, three-pointer when you could have scored it, and you're allowing the other team now to have the ball for free, and they're getting a two or three-pointer. So it's like a six-point swing every time that happens. So, uh, yeah, have to limit the turnovers I'll be glued to the TV watching this game for like a game seven because it basically is a game seven. If Golden State lose this, I think they're done. So, because then Boston just needs to win one more game. So, uh, we'll see. Um, yeah, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous for Golden State. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, you can clearly see which team I'm trying to go for. Um, <laughs> Pav, Pav. Uh, She's going for the Celtics. I was talking to her about it yesterday. She thinks the Celtics will win because they're on that revenge tour. Like I was saying that, you know, they took down the Bucks, They took down Brooklyn. They took down the Heat. All teams that have been in their way in the past. And, yeah, it's a really cool story for Boston to win. And, I'm like I said before, I'm not against it, but, oh man, I'll be sad. I'll be sad if Golden State lose. <laughs> I just feel like there's so much time for Boston. Like, even though it's, like, a bad thing to say, but it's, like, you'll have other chances. Don't you worry guys. <laughs> but for Golden State, I feel like they, they don't have many more chances with this core group, like with Steph Curry, with Klay Thompson, with Draymond Green, like it will give them a lot of confidence and like put them back at the top on the pedal still again, if they're able to win this championship. Whereas if not, it's like, oh, it just takes so much to, to get there. But, um, yeah, I think Pav is uh, also like a bit sad that like Phoenix Suns, like her team, didn't make it to the finals. So oh, we'll see. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully uh, uh, Boston Celtics pull through for her. But uh, I'll be sad. <laughs> uh, we'll leave it there. Anyway, watch game for tomorrow. It's going to be fascinating. Very uh, telling who wins that. I think. I think whoever wins tomorrow's game wins the series. Um, and not just saying that to to create drama or anything. I think, yeah, like I said, if Boston win, they're going to win the series because they'll be up 3-1. If Golden State can win, I think it's a big sort of shock to the Celtics to go, damn, you've had like all the running and played so well, but, you know, it's still dead even with Golden State and now they have their home court advantage back again. Yeah, I think that's a big blow. So let's see. Okay, last part of the episode. We're going to leave it on one uh, question from the Q&A section here today. Uh, It's from George. Hi, George. How's it going? Um, Thanks for writing in. He's asking, Tom, did you see that Parv's avalanche have made it into the Stanley Cup playoffs? They're into the final match already. My question is, is Parv a psychic? Did she know this would happen (laughs) from the start? Uh, thanks, George. <laughs> I think Parv is a little bit of a psycho. That's kind of crazy, eh? Her Colorado Avalanche have just swept the Edmonton Oilers um, in the West. So Parv's Colorado Avalanche, who she picked from the very start of the playoffs, I swear <laughs> she doesn't know much about hockey, um, knows enough, but you know she doesn't watch it regularly, hasn't been watching the Colorado Avalanche actually play, but she picked him. They're in the finals. <laughs> um, thank goodness. I hope, like she, she might have cursed the Phoenix Suns, or <laughs> hopefully she curses the Celtics. But her Avalanche, man, they've been going well. And then my team, the Rangers, who I said who I've kind of piggybacked onto on the East. They they were up early against the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, in the East. They were they won the first two games and now Tampa Bay has won the next 3 so now Tampa Bay is leading that series 3 to 2 so my rangers are playing the lightning on sunday at 10am i'll have to watch that one to cheer them on but a uh, huge game because it's a win or go home they have to win this game and then they have to win the next the next game after that the game 7 so damn like i said hopefully george it's it's my new york rangers from the east, versing Pav's Colorado Avalanche in the west, but man, the Avalanche looked so good, they've been sweeping everyone to this point, so I'm nervous, I'm nervous for anyone that Pav's backing, and uh they, they look like they're going to do well, so hopefully my Rangers make it to the final two, we'll see, but if not, it's a cool story, because like, Tampa Bay Lightning, like I said, they're trying to go for the three-peat, last two years, 2021 and 2020, the Lightning have been the Stanley Cup playoff champions. So they're the team to beat. Uh, it's been good that my Rangers have taken them to a game six so far, but it maybe it'll be Lightning versus the Avalanche. Um, be a cool story. It's either past team wins or the Lightning do a three-peat. So that would be really cool. We'll see what happens. Alrighty, we're going to leave it there today. I, I really appreciate all you, all the support that I'm getting from you guys at home at the moment. Um, yeah, you're making me smile a lot. You've been really supportive. I appreciate you guys so much for listening, um, especially, like I said at the start, from so many different places. It's been uh, yeah really cool to, to get so much love from you guys and love that you've tuned in and listening to this wherever you are. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Keep keep uh, sending in your questions and su- suggestions at TomPatterson97 on Instagram. Um, yeah, if there's something you want me to talk about or something that I've missed, let me know. Happy to talk about it. Let's go. Always happy to, to try new things and learn new things. Um, gotta, gotta make the most of this before I get taken down <laughs> for saying too much, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah lol. <laughs> um anyway anyway um yeah i appreciate you guys thank you so much for listening wherever you are right now whatever time it is for you keep having a great day i'll see you back again i think on sunday so i'll talk about this game For i i'll dive right into the whole game and then anything else that's been going on around around the sporting world as well so yeah get your questions in gonna see if who wins golden state or the celtics and uh Yeah. Other than that, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Heaps. Bye.